Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we have reached the conclusion of the second play, Wrigley Days, in the trilogy of plays called The Silverfields of Northbrook that follow the Silver King, Stanley Silverfield, and his family during their years in Northbrook between the days of Chicago and what's ahead in Rockford, Illinois. During my research and writing for the Silverfields of Northbrook, following in the long and legendary language of the Silver King as his son, who also became a writer, I called upon some of the history that I created around Wrigley Days, those days and events that have resonated through the decades, and find me sharing with you an essay that I wrote 30 years ago in 1993. I was almost 45, and I had just heard the news that the Bears had fired Mike Ditka as their head coach. Ditka, Iron Mike, was the man as a player who embodied a personal version of my Monsters of the Midway. And learning of his football demise was sad news for me. It brought rushing memories back from the days in the 50s and 60s when the family shared events at Wrigley Field. We saw the Cubs and Bears. And now, a hero who had fallen from his perch as the head coach of the legendary Chicago Bears, a man who had led the Bears to a Super Bowl victory in 1986, a thrashing of the New England Patriots by the score of 46 to 10. And ironically, the Patriots were coached by Raymond Berry, who had been the legendary receiver for the Golden Arm, Johnny Unitas, on the Colts in the 1950s and 60s. Jarred by the news of Ditka's demise, I decided to write about it in my terms. This is what I wrote. The title, Mike Ditka, a story by Michael G. Seavers in January of 1993. The deed is done. Ditka has been deposed. I am deeply depressed. I was watching the NFL playoffs on television the other day when my football hero, Mike Ditka, was interviewed about his recent firing as the head coach of my hometown team, the Chicago Bears. The network showed him and the viewers a black-and-white film clip from an edition of the 1966 George Hallis show. There sat Iron Mike with his mentor, George Hallis, and Irv Kupsonen, a man known to all as Cup. Ditka told his coach and Cup 
that Gale Sayers was the greatest football player he had ever seen. That makes two of us, Iron Mike, two of us who remember the Bears in our early years. The year was 1963, the place Wrigley Field. The contest was the NFL championship game, and Ditka played in that game, won by the Bears 14-10. to He was their tight end that year, just as he had been since being drafted out of the University of Pittsburgh. He was a college All-American who became the NFL Rookie of the Year in 1961. Mike Ditka embodied the Bears then, just as he does today. His temperament, style, and brush haircut set the tone for the times. Ditka played with an edge that made him the greatest tight end ever. A generation ago, before the league imposed a minimum seating requirement of 50,000, the Bears played their home games at Wrigley Field. It was a fabulous setting for football, and one that provided me with many great memories. I was born at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago Cardinals territory. The family lived on the north side in Bear territory. In those days, the football Cardinals and Ollie Matson roamed the south side at the original Comiskey Park. Prior to flying south to St. Louis in 1960, they knew the city was bare turf. My visits to Wrigley Field began as short trips from our apartment on West Aldine and continued from the then-exotic suburb of Northbrook in the late 1950s and became all-day affairs via the toll road from Rockford in the early 1960s and culminated with special sojourns from college in Wisconsin to see Gail Sayers, the Kansas Comet, storm through the league in the late 1960s. I loved the Bears then and love them more today. These trips to see the Bears were almost always made with my dad. Our special Sundays were made possible through relatives on both sides of the family, each of whom had season tickets. It was all rather simple. The phone would ring and an uncle would utter the golden words. Stan, we've got two seats for Sunday. Would you and Michael like to go to the game? Would we like to go to the game? Did Billy Wade wear high-top shoes? Uncle Norman, my mother's brother, had seats with his crowd in the upper deck down the left field line above the third base dugout. It was quite a view, and not just for the action on the field. From where we sat in that rare air, it was possible to see over the wall of the north end zone onto Waveland Avenue and the scrum of fans that battled fiercely for the Duke footballs. And as fierce as the play might have been on the field at certain moments during the game, the avenue's action equaled its intensity. Whenever a team was about to score, the residents along Waveland would pour from their abodes, mass outside the wall, and fight furiously for an NFL game ball as it sailed into their lives. Abe Bailey, my dad's uncle, had seats with his factotums in the temporary stands that occupied right field during the football season. These 10,000 less than comfortable bench spots made vying for the game's corned beef sandwiches and huddling together in the bitter cold easier. They also provided a better view when Ditka, upon catching a pass, crashed into the band, which was sitting helplessly awaiting its fate next to the corner of the end zone. The Bears of those days played for George Hallis, who had established the Decatur Staley's in 1920 
moved them to Chicago in 1921 and renamed them the Bears in 22. He won his first professional championship in 1921, his last in 1963. He drafted the man, Mike Ditka, who played for him and then coached the Bears for more than a decade with the same passion that Hallis had for the game he helped create. Ditka's Bears won the NFL title in 1986. What else do I remember from those years at Wrigley Field? Well, Billy Wade gave way to a quarterback named Rudy Bukic, who Ditka once described as the best two-bounce passer in the NFL. Bukic was the NFL passing leader in 1965, and in 1964 helped Johnny Morris lead the league in receiving with 93 catches. And on a cold December afternoon in 1965, I saw the Kansas Comet, Gail Sayers, score six touchdowns against San Francisco and rush for over 300 all-purpose yards. Oh, and then there was number 51, Mr. Butkus, who came out of Chicago Vocational High School and the University of Illinois to anchor the defense in those years after the championship season. I remember growing up with the Bears. They were like family to me. My monsters of the Midway argued, fought, and demanded unflinching loyalty. But now the family is suffering through a separation. The headlines may read, The Bears divorced Ditka, and no one who loves the Bears will ever be the same. And now, with the end of my personal Mike Ditka days, we have reached the end of Wrigley Days, the second play in the trilogy, The Silverfields of Northbrook. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.